And we welcome you to the final edition of This Is Wrestling 2023. It is New Year's Eve, and we thought we couldn't let this year end without another show. Lieber Sage, Zach McGibbon on different ends of the world. You know what? Zach, they say that about us a lot of times, (laughs) but this time it's actually true with the distance between us. How are you? I'm doing pretty good, Lee. Yeah, it's uh, it's very different. Uh, You, uh, as you mentioned, are in Italy. Uh, I am actually not in Belleville right now. I am currently back in uh, hometown of Ottawa, seeing family for uh, New Year's. So uh, it's a little bit of a different sounding setup here for uh, this New Year's Eve, but uh, it's been a while since we've chatted in this sort of format. So uh, a lot has happened in the last couple of weeks. So looking forward to this conversation. I can't tell you how many messages, texts I've gotten about how great you've sounded on tape shows about <laughs> non time sensitive stuff, Zach. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, I mean, it's your calling. <laughs> I, I guess. To not talk about, you know, any of the real stuff that's going on. No, I hope people have enjoyed <laughs> some of the, the different episodes that we have released. I don't think people have gone um, without Zach and Lee in their lives over the last, you know, two or three weeks. There's been some different episodes and, you know, I've gotten some really nice messages about, oh, listening to you rant about Christian right now. And I'm like, yeah, I'm in Italy. Um, <laughs> so, yes, I, I am in uh italy the very the very end of the boot i'm like where when the iron sheik loaded up his boot you know when he before he kicked people with the the boot and the horn that's where i am in italy i'm in sicily right now in a little town called letuyana just outside tormina mm. between messina and catania John Cena and uh, no, oh, no. Oh, my bad. But um, yeah, what, what a trip it has been so far. What a trip um, to, yeah. and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it as it goes along. I won't completely take up everybody's time. We, the world is ending. It ended last night in AEW uh, with their pay-per-view. We got that to talk about MJF had his players tribune. Uh, stuff. I know CM Punk got in the ring for the first time, almost lost to Dominic Mysterio, Chris Jericho uh, in the news as well. So a lot to talk about, but how are your holidays, Zach? How is your Christmas? How have your holidays been? And I know, as you said, you're in Ottawa for New Year's right now. It's been busy, uh, shockingly busy for the holidays. It's been back and forth between Ottawa and Belleville. This is actually my second time being in Ottawa this past week. Uh, I was here for Christmas, uh, then I went back down, uh, to head on back to work, did some, uh, Kingston front knacks games in between. So it was, uh, it was quite the busy week, two weeks, uh, over the last little while, but, uh, I'm in sort of a calming period now, now that I'm chatting with you for the wrestling podcast and, uh, going to be right back at it, doing another front knacks game, uh, literally on new year's day. So, uh, that's uh, coming up as well, but, uh, it's been good to see family. It's been good to see uh, friends in the area as well. And, uh, just being able to uh, catch up and see how things were going. And 
And uh, but it's been busy. I, I've not been slowing down this uh, holiday season. I could tell you that. <laughs> well, for me, it's been, I would say, very busy the last couple of weeks. But this last um, week, sort of right before Christmas until New Year's, not as busy. But man, the first 10 days, it was busy. Uh, so, so many things you I flew into Rome and subsequently picked up a car, drove to the Airbnb, realized that driving in Italy is nothing like I've ever done before. Uh, It is, I don't even know how to describe it. Uh, Watched a movie the other day. And don't judge me. It was better than the title sounds. Okay. Okay. I'm telling you, but it was watched it because we're here in Italy. It was called Love and Gelato. Okay. <laughs> but, All right. But it sounds like a Hallmark movie. It was better than that. I was just going to ask, um, is it a Hallmark movie? No, but first of all, Hallmark movies are underrated. And I swear to God that as soon as I get back, I am making you watch a Hallmark movie and we are going to rate the Hallmark movie. Oh boy. And you're, you're going to understand how great these movies are. Even if there's one plot for 1868 movies, like (laughs) I'm telling you the way they, you know, the nuances, but this one was better (laughs) than that, but it was all done in Rome. And the way that the, the girl, the main character described driving in, in Italy and in Rome was like, it's like driving in NASCAR, but with more yelling. (laughs) and that's that's pretty much it like there are no rules here man i'm telling you there are no rules is it like uh mad max over there yeah it is it's just the thought process for everyone who gets in a car is i'm going to get to where i want to go as fast or as slow as i want to go and I'm going to do it in the direction that benefits me the most, which means like lines on the road, very optional. Mm-hmm. Like they're just a suggestion. <laughs> Pe- people straddling lines, conti- going over lines, going into oncoming traffic. Merging is like probably the scariest thing you've ever seen because people just merge and there's no lanes and they'll take up you know, five different areas that you can go to, to merge in, to get like a car nose ahead. And they're, they're not taking no for an answer. And then there's the scooters. There's a lot of people in Italy on scooters and they just come up. Like if there's room for a scooter and I'm talking about like maybe two feet across, if there's two feet between you car, your car and the next car, a scooter's coming up in between you. Oh boy. Yeah. Like it's, it's something, but first two days in Rome and did the, the full touristy, like after we got there on the first day, kind of had the, like some time differences and people coming in and then picking everybody up and getting the car and getting back to the place and getting food and that sort of stuff. But the next day was all, Right to the Colosseum. Did the tour of the Colosseum. One of the most magical things I've ever seen. 
um, anything that you think that it is in pictures or it's just so beyond all of that. And then once we were done at the Coliseum, we went to Trevi Fountain, which is this crazy fountain in the middle of Rome. Like you walk up a side street and like an alleyway and you're like, where the hell am I? <laughs> like, it's just buildings and like, and I'm walking and I'm looking at the map going, there's no way this thing is here. Like we're in the middle of the city, like with, you know, we're in an alleyway. Turn the corner. Yep. There it is. <laughs> like, <laughs> just filled with sat on a rooftop patio at a McDonald's, the mo- the nicest McDonald's that I've ever been at. Um, and then went to the Vatican on the same day. And that the architecture and some of the, the, the things in the Vatican, the designs, the architecture, the, they're so beyond like massive and detailed it would take people like a hundred years to do what they did. Like just on one painting or one side of the wall. And then it just kept going and going. And I've never done as much walking uh, as that day in my life, but uh, did all of that. Got back the the next day, spent a couple of days in a little town called Latina uh, actually, just outside of Latina, Rome, which is only about an hour south. And that was right on the beach. This little hotel, really cheap. I was wondering how bad it was going to be because it was so cheap and it looked a little desolate. Walked inside. It was pristine. Looking at the ocean, sounds of the ocean. So that went to a winery the following day. That was amazing. It, I'm not a big wine drinker, Zach, mm-hmm. but I do know that what wine tasting is and and how much it costs. And not that it's a huge cost, but if you go to, you know, you're very familiar with Prince Edward County and a lot of wine tasting going on there. And absolutely, you know, I think if you went if you went there and and got little, you know, tiny glasses of of wine like there's only you know a a few sips in them and mm-hmm. if you got three or four that would be 10 or 15 bucks no problem and these were basically half glasses of wine like what a six ounce glass that you'd order in a restaurant and everyone got six of them for free because they wanted you to taste all of their wines mm-hmm. uh that was fun <laughs> even though i'm not a big wine guy that was good. And then from Latina down to the Amalfi Coast. And Zach, when I tell you I've never driven in anything like it, like, and I would describe this to people I'm a big love to drive guy. I love to drive. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you tell me that we're going like to Florida. I went to Florida last year. I did a 12 hour and a 14 hour shift in traffic. It wasn't the best in traffic and a little bit of snow and stuff like that. But I've been back and forth to Florida. Like I've done one trip where we got home in 21 hours and three hours deep in Florida. And I did all but one hour of the driving and that was fine for me. 
Like I love to drive. Mm -hmm. We drove to the Amalfi coast and maybe went up. We went up a mountain and then down the mountain and maybe, maybe went 30 kilometers in one full hour. (laughs) And when I say, uh, when I say it was like hairpin turns, like in formula one, like you couldn't make the corner (laughs) if you just stayed on your side of the road. And by the way, the roads, there, there's no like, um, there's no room on the side of the road to pull your car. There's no like area to walk. There's no sidewalk. There's no anything. It's like, here's the road and here's the wall. And there's about a car and a half worth of road and cars coming at each other all the time. It, it's, it's insane. It sounds um, crazy. The, the, and the hills and the turns it's if you've never done it and i hope somebody has done it before been to amalfi coast and gone up and down the roads but when we got to our place it was incredible it was like very very old school italian um the the place was actually 114 steps down from the road so like you go into the gate and there's a like a luggage pulley zip line thing that gets your luggage closer, not all the way, but closer to your place because it is a hundred and fourteen steps down just to get into the front door. Wow. But that but then once you do, it's you're in a house with a balcony that's like off of a cliff. And it's breathtaking. And you you walk down and there's orange trees and lemon trees and like just everywhere you go. And when we were there at the Amalfi Coast place, what you do is you'd get up in the morning and you'd you'd pick a couple oranges and lemons and you you would actually like make orange juice and lemon juice yourself with the juicer mm-hmm. and then you'd walk and then you'd walk probably I'd say down at least another 150 to 200 stairs at different times, like through these little rock staircases. And all of a sudden you get, Oh, that's the supermarket. And you get to the supermarket and it's like your living room, mm-hmm. but it's all fresh pasta and fresh meat and cheese and bread and and you'd go in and you'd kind of get your stuff for the day and then you'd walk back up and we walked into the town it's not even a town it's just a little tiny village wouldn't even begin to describe it but you'd walk into the village and there was one restaurant like one pizzeria Mm. Maybe the best pizza I've ever had in my life. I will never, hmm. and I will say this to, I will say this to anybody. I haven't traveled the world. Uh, this is my first time in Europe. Um, but it's the best pizza I've ever had. And it's not even close to any North American pizza. Like it, it's, it's just beyond words. And you'd never go back. If you had a chance to eat this pizza, you'd never eat 
Canadian or American pizza again. You just wouldn't. Right. Uh, um, it's that, it's that good and cheap, cheap, cheap. Everything over here is so reasonably priced when it comes to, I guess, places to stay in the off season or the grocery store, or even I was telling you, I think off the air last night, I'm currently where I told you in Lithuania and we went to, a. Uh, just a local pizzeria. Most stuff looks like it's not even open. And then there's a little pizza restaurant that's open. We went in, we each had a pizza and the pizzas are big. Like you can't finish it. Uh, and if you finish it, you're not eating for the rest of the day. So we each had a pizza, a glass of wine and a beer, one glass of wine, one beer, two pizzas. And it was like 23 euros which is like, I don't know, 35 bucks. Mm -hmm. And I was telling you, like, that's the same thing that I would do at home. Go out, I'd get like a, you know, like a nice restaurant pizza, but a pizza. Yeah. And a glass of wine and a beer. And like, if you got two pizzas, it'd be a hundred bucks. And so you just understand the affordability of it. But two days in the Malfi Coast, I never wanted to leave. And you couldn't really leave because it took us another hour just to get 30 kilometers the other way to even start going south or out of the mountain. It was a full hour. But with like every corner being, I, I could crash the car here. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. the feeling. Like, okay, I've turned the corner. I'm going, oh, I could crash the car here in the next turn. <laughs> oh, there's a, there's a bus coming at me. Oh, my God, a scooter just went past me. Oh, like, oh, I got a hairpin turn here coming up. <laughs> That's what it was like. Hold on. But but then down south, uh, stayed in a little town called Paola, just on the beach in Calabria, and stayed at a bread and bed and breakfast with... Uh, the host who did not speak any English, mm. and what what a what a time that was. Um, I can everything imagine. was through Google. Everything was through Google Translate. Oh yes, there but, you go. But this is the full Italian experience, where like you sleep there, you're in the person's. It's a bed and breakfast, but you're in their house, right? And but the rooms are gorgeous and. Um, we went out for dinner, came back, asked if we could sit downstairs and the girl's like, oh, of course, comes, gets the fireplace set up, puts a fire on beside the Christmas tree, sitting on the couches. It's like you're in somebody's warm, loving home sitting by the Christmas tree, but they don't speak any English and you don't speak hardly any Italian and communicating is very difficult but it was incredible incredible and then over on the ferry after that to the island of sicily because you do have to get on the ferry not too long but a half an hour like by the time you get on travel you go upstairs leave your car there go upstairs get a snack go to the washroom and then basically you're done and back in the car and you get off and, mm -hmm. and you're on the island of sicily and 
very busy in some of the main towns, but in where I guess where it's busy, it's really busy, and where it's not busy, it's not busy. <laughs> is how I would describe it. And so there's a little town called Tordemina that is a very uh it's up the mountain and you think nothing's gonna be there and you get there and it's it um how do I describe it? Uh it'd be like walking. I'm trying to think where there's some very touristy place where you aren't allowed cars on the street and everyone's just walking up and down to restaurants and bars and lights and and Christmas stores and um Apparently they filmed White Lotus season two okay. on this road. Yes. Uh which I haven't seen, mm-hmm. but I'm gonna have to go back and look. And just you wouldn't even believe it. Like you you you're driving up this mountain, everything looks dark and desolate, and then there's this place that looks like it's been there for you know, somebody's made it the greatest tourist attraction of all time and you walk up and down and again nothing's overly priced sat on a patio outside looking down on this street probably the best view you could have again it's just like 10 bucks sit there and have your meal and <laughs> it's been quite the experience yeah Jack, it now, sounds like it i mean but but now settled here in Latuyani and uh, be here for a little bit longer, um, another week or two, and then we'll see where it goes. There you go. After that, I got to give myself a rest from driving. Yeah, but <laughs> I just from the sounds of it, it sounds like uh, it's, it's it's stressful. Even, but even little things like it's like there's nowhere to park ever, right? In Italy, like you just can't park the car, <laughs> and so. And everyone drives around. I used to, I'm not a big, I don't like small cars. I'm not a mm-hmm. small car person, mm-hmm. especially at home. Like the little Coopers or the Fiats, it's just not my thing. Yeah. Here you almost have to have one because everyone else has one. And if there's a spot, there's like just, there's three inches more than where a Fiat can fit in. <laughs> right. And then that's it. That's yeah. the only spot that's available. And, but I got my got my hair cut today at a true Italian barber. Wow. Um, hardly spoke any English. <laughs> um, and it was incredible. It was everything you see in the movies. And like you go in and get your hair washed. And you, there's five or six people throughout the course of the haircut that come in to the door and uh ciao and they're talking to him for like three or four minutes he's talking back to them and then they leave and you have no idea what they talked about or what what happened there but then somebody else comes by and they have another conversation and it's just it's crazy 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 um (laughs) but uh it was a really neat experience to to get one done in in a real Italian barber shop, right? Yeah. Like, and so, yeah, it's it's been quite the trip so far. But doesn't mean I haven't been paying attention. Doesn't mean I haven't stayed up late to watch the Cowboys lose and lose and then <laughs> win, but should have should have lost. Yeah. Um. So that's been 
That's been good. I I haven't watched as much as I'd like because of the time difference. There's a six-hour time difference. Mm -hmm. Um, But I actually caught up pretty quick. I did well. The first couple of nights were tough, but after that, I was like right on their time. But when going to bed at 11 or midnight here, you're going to bed at five or six with everything else going on. So, right. um, And was going to stay up for World's End and the Cowboys last night. But at the same time, it's New Year's Eve tonight, and uh, I didn't want to have myself all messed up for uh, New Year's Eve and making sure that I was good to go for tonight. Good to go for you, Zach. There you go. I couldn't afford to not, not be at my best. That's right. So, it's, it's, it's that classic uh, wrestling motto. You've got your gear ready to go just in case, uh, in case you need to hop into a match, whether it be a battle royal or a one-on-one. I'm always ready to go. I, I said to you before, and you were... Uh, out last night with a couple of uh, good friends of This Is Wrestling Mm -hmm. and got to take in World's End, the AEW pay-per-view. And I said, like, okay, I've read a lot about it. I've I've watched some of the highlights. Um, But I'll stick to the This Is part when I'm Mm -hmm. in Italy and you stick to the wrestling part. (laughs) Yes. I think think that'll be good. So, look, I'll... uh, I'll pretty much be asking you what you thought of it because you watched it live and we'll mm-hmm. sort of give the results. I'll ask you for your opinions on some of the matches. And then like, if we have discussions about it, like I'll, I know some of the storyline effects from it and, and I can tell you that I read the entire MJF players tribune article, which came out before world's end. It was tremendous. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought a really good read. And you never know in wrestling. I love it because I read it and I was like, it seems really honest, but it's MJF and lines are always blurred all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure most of this is true, but where's the part that isn't true or that's blurring the line. Uh, but let's start there because I think that's, that's an important place to start. Um, we have a new AEW World Heavyweight Champion, and his name is Samoa Joe, defeating MJF last night in the main event. Before we get to after Samoa Joe beat MJF and the devil was revealed, okay, what'd you think of the match? What'd you think of the Players' Tribune and kind of the lead up to MJF Samoa Joe? Yeah, so the match itself, I thought, was one of MGF's better matches in this current devil storyline run. They really did a lot of, uh, they, they really targeted the shoulder of MGF a lot in this match. There was some crazy bumps as well. Uh, Joe did a muscle buster to uh, MJF on the apron, which was uh, nasty looking and it landed on that shoulder. So um, I thought it was a really well-worked match. I thought it was a, a good match. Um, I thought that, uh, you know, we didn't get too much shenanigans as much as I thought we were going to get. They had Adam Cole come out and we'll talk about him more in a a moment, but they had Adam Cole come out to be at ringside with MJF. And I thought there would be more interference from the devil's side of things and his henchmen who are now the ring of honor tag team champions. Um, But they, they limited that. They just had it to where, you know, MJF was trying to overcome the odds and and fight through the pain and try and be this underdog valiant babyface and uh, for that I, I think they got what they needed accomplished 
Uh, Joe got the victory. The The finish was a little... Uh, they, 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 it was pretty clear they were trying to protect MJF a little bit here because there was a slight hesitation with Bryce Remsburg when he did the final drop of the hand to determine if he was out cold from uh, the Kikina clutch from Samoa Joe. Um, and so they, they try to protect uh, MJF a little bit. So uh, I've, I've joked, I've called MJF MJ Hogan a little bit uh, before oh, because of the oh. way that he's overcome the odds Lee and, and just all, all, all these things against him, but able to overcome the odds, but he's also a little MJ Hogan that, well, he's got to protect himself a little bit as well, brother. So, uh, but otherwise this was a solid match. You uh, are harsh. You're harsh, man. I'm just saying, I'm just, I'm just calling it how I see it. And, uh, <laughs> I, I look the match itself. I, I thought was a solid match, uh, a, a decent main event, uh, it, it, the angle afterwards, uh, we'll talk about in a moment. And when you mentioned that, uh, Tribune art article, the player's Tribune article, uh, I read that too. I thought it was a very interesting read and it was interesting to kind of get into the mind of MJF a little bit. Um, I read it as somebody that desperately needed a break from, uh, wrestling. It, it seemed like to me a guy that, needed to have he he was well aware of the pressure that's put on his shoulders when it comes to being the top guy and having the championship and now being a baby face and i read it through from the perspective that he's clearly mentally worn out and whether you want to believe the legitimacy of his injuries i'm i'm very positive there there he's quite injured um so i think this guy needs to take a bit of a mental and physical break for a bit now that he's lost the title um, but the article was uh, was well written and there were points in there that I totally agreed with him on. Um, I'm kind of in a moment with him when it comes to him saying, uh, you know, I've heard the criticism and, and, and whatnot. This is he's been saying this now multiple times, but the way that this story has gone about, it, it really doesn't feel like he's hearing them, but he's not taking them in, if that makes any sense. Uh, now that this devil storyline appears to be over and we're going to the next phase of the storyline between MJF Adam, and Adam Cole. Uh, I'm hopeful we could get things back on track. We can, you know, drop the goofiness and drop uh, the whodunit Scooby-Doo style story that they were doing mm -hmm. with the devil storyline. But, um, but that article, I, I recommend people go read it and it it's it takes you into the mind of somebody that's trying to be a top guy uh, in the wrestling industry. Yeah. And look, when you write stuff like that, or you say stuff like that, there's always going to be people who don't believe you and you're writing stuff about the boss. And like, I think, you know, okay, I'll ask you when you read it for sure, it seemed like it's possible that it was a bit of a goodbye. Do you think that he is signed already to AEW once again? Yes. I think he's been signed for a while. Um, I, th I think he signed an extension during that whole kerfuffle over the uh, airplane ticket, uh, during his, uh, feud with Wardlow. I think he signed an extension and the fact that while they have mentioned it, it's not been a focus of the storyline for MJF on the bidding war of 2024, uh, leads me to believe that he's sticking around and, we're going to see more and, and the way that this angle played out as well. I'm it, it made it very clear to me that this story is going to continue on. Okay. So afterwards we see the devil and his henchmen and we find out that the devil is Adam Cole. And I think as it sort of went along, 
you know, people had all these guesses as to who it could possibly be, but it started to narrow itself down, didn't it? And I yeah. still thought going into last night, to me, there was only two people and it was Adam Cole or Britt Baker, mm-hmm. but um, it turns out to be Adam Cole. He's got the ring of honor world tag team James. I didn't like the fact that those guys won the tag team championship. So they're revealing who they were. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big fan of that. Uh, they got r- done real quick. So, okay, that's good. And we know, you know, who the champs are now. Um, Wardlow, part of the group. What do you, like, for me, when you're running a group, everyone said, oh, like, Jack Perry's the devil. Like, Jack Perry couldn't lead a two-car parade right now with the <laughs> way that he could command an audience. And that, I, that's criticizing him, but not in a way of, like, not that he won't be able to in the future, or, but he's still young, but he doesn't have that MJF young charisma to be able to lead a stable. Mm-hmm. I think people sometimes get a little bit misguided when stables are there. There's always, always, always somebody who can lead the group and talk and make sure that that group is put over all of the time. And people are like, oh, it's Jack Perry, and then there's going to be Wardlow, and then there's going to be, like, who's going to talk? And there always has to be that. So I, I don't know if there's going to be a name for them, but Adam Cole and um, Wardlow and Mike Bennett and why am I forgetting? Matt Taven. Um, Matt Taven and Roderick Strong. Yeah. Uh, um, all in the group. What do you make of the group? Uh, cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, Fine. You know, I, I, I could rip into this in terms of how many plot holes there are in that it's Adam Cole as the devil. I could point you back to uh, AEW Grand Slam where Adam Cole was helping MGF secure the title from Samoa Joe. And now all of a sudden, you know, he's the, the title goes back to Joe, but he's involved like I could I could break through all these plot holes with this and I could tell you how lame and how predictable uh this uh this reveal is of Adam Cole being the devil and I could tell you how long that this story has gone on and I'd have to go through some of the worst angles uh that AEW has probably ever produced uh in order to get through this story um I feel like you're doing that right now I, I might good. be doing it a little bit now but what I will say is that thank God this is over and we could just move on to the next phase of this storyline. I thought the yeah. reveal was pretty weak. Uh, it, like all of that, this is the reveal of Adam Cole and we're getting Matt Taven and Mike Bennett. And so all of this work for the AEW world championship and going after MJF and all that. And let me check my notes here, Lee, but uh, now this new group, uh, the title that they're able to secure is the reign of honor tag team championships. So uh, I guess a job well done for the devil's group uh, to be able to secure the prestigious reign of honor tag team championships uh, and not the AEW world title. Instead, they, for whatever reason, decide to partner with Samoa Joe and give Joe the world championship. But I digress. Uh, I'm I, the angle kind of, it was predictable. 
but they've got the visual that they wanted. And I'm at the point now with the story where thank God we're moving on. And hopefully we can just go into this next phase where we get back to this uh, more realistic approach to pro wrestling that AEW was good at for the first couple of years uh, of their existence. And instead of having to do, you know, Roderick Strong coming out in a wheelchair and a neck brace and uh, the stuffed giraffe with uh, David and Bennett. So uh, the reveal didn't go over very well. I can tell you didn't go over very well with the uh, people I was watching with. Uh, And, but at the end of it all, we're, we're, Those we're moving are negative on. people, though. Let's let's be honest. Those <laughs> are negative, negative people that you're watching with. And you chose to do that. Nobody else. That's true. Um, no, but you're right. I think, you know, having not watched it and having, you know, seen some of the highlights, I think that your feeling is the same feeling I have for sure. I'm really glad this is over because I want to like Adam Cole. I want to like Roderick Strong. And I, I mean, I don't really care about Wardlow and Mike Bennett and Matt Taven. Um, I, I think they're okay, but I, I really, really like Adam Cole and Roderick Strong. And I haven't, I've liked Roderick Strong more than Adam Cole over the last little bit. And that's not saying I've loved Roderick Strong. Mm-hmm. I've just have been more entertained by him than say you and some other people. Mm-hmm. But it's not like I thought this was a brilliant storyline. So let's get to the question that you asked. Why would Adam Cole and everybody else now associated with him be okay that Joe is the champion and not want to take the title off of MJF themselves, especially with the angle of MJF being hurt and tired and a massive shoulder injury and all of that stuff. If I'm Adam Cole, I'm like, I'm going to have a hell of a hard time beating Joe as opposed to MJF. And I know I lost MJF at Wembley, but that guy's tired, hurt, beat up. And I've played with his mind for three or four months. Wouldn't I be better facing him? Why are they okay with Joe having the title? I don't know. <laughs> I, okay. I I, All right. I I guess to just get MJF at his lowest points because it's personal now, and you know Joe can have his little title, and you know the little title being the world championship, and uh, and and then Adam Cole can handle personal business with uh, his buddies in uh, the Kingdom and Roderick Strong and Wardlow. Okay, I don't have an answer either. That's why I asked you. I've been trying, trust me, I want to try and find some logical points for this, but I can't. It's it's just been not, when the the comparisons I think of when I think of this story are a combination of the Black Scorpion angle in WCW and the Dungeon of Doom with the Devil's stuff, Mixed in with a little bit of uh, Rikishi, who 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 drove the 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 SUV that ran over Stone Cold Steve Austin, you're not got a great recipe for success when it comes to a story like this. So, uh, it's 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 why I'm just like, all right, let's let's head into the new year fresh and and just forget about this devil storyline that took up three months of my life in the fall. Okay, so 
you said that this was going to happen before, and I held out hope that AEW kind of understood where they were and the talent, and that it wouldn't play out for as long as it did. And it did get a bit silly, and hopefully we are all done with it. Um, so I want to juxtapose that because I don't have an answer to the Samoa Joe thing either. Um, why they this group would be okay with Joe being the champion, I don't know. Um, maybe we'll find out. We'll try to explain it. But Joe just dropping the Ring of Honor title and getting the AEW title, I'm happy for him that at this point in his career, he has reached uh, a mountain, the peak of a mountain like this. Mm-hmm. For him, I'm really, I think that gets lost in all of this, right? Yep. That Samoa Joe, for everything he's done in the business, he's always, always been that guy that he could probably, he had all the tools to carry a company, but he never really got the chance. He's had some titles, but Mm -hmm. he's never really got the chance to be like the guy. And he's your AEW world champion going into 2024. And I think if you told me that, at the beginning of the start of AEW, I'd be like, okay, I like where that company's going if they see what I see in Joe five years ago. So I'm thankful that they've put Joe in this position. I hope he thrives and I hope he's even better than he's been. I think he's been pretty good over the last little while. Um, I hope they put him in some really good storylines and I, I'm really happy for him. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do want to juxtapose the the whole devil, Adam Cole, MJF, all the stuff we just talked about. Uh, it's quite frankly, it became pretty silly. Mm-hmm. What I didn't want to happen, and what I thought happened, even say with the Owen Hart tournament, was when the Continental Classic was announced. I hope that it would be more like the G1 in the sense of if you tell me that this tournament is important and then you show me on your television that this is important and you see, I think they've, and I've said this before, I think they've done some masterful work with the interviews behind the scenes after matches of this tournament. They have made this tournament important. And at the beginning of the tournament, I was scared to death that they were going to screw this thing up and that it would just have a winner that it really didn't do anything for. And I'm happy to say that I think everything we um, didn't like about MJF, Adam Cole, Devil, crap, I think we got back in the Continental Classic Eddie Kingston defeats John Moxley in the finals after Eddie Kingston defeats uh, Brian Danielson in in what basically is the semifinals, and he beat Claudio along the way as well after losing his first two matches. Um, this to me is how you run and make a tournament important. You you do it the way they did it. You have some big time guys in it that has to take a couple of losses and you put somebody over that at the end of the tournament, they are more important at the end of the tournament than at the beginning of the tournament. I think 
all things checkmark and A plus to the Continental Classic, the way that it worked out. Eddie Kingston is your winner. Yeah, this was, uh, and this was my favorite match of the show uh, for me personally. Uh, I thought the match between Kingston and Moxley was really well done. And like you mentioned, it's very simple storytelling, but it's very effective storytelling. It's Eddie Kingston overcoming the odds uh, in a different way from the MJF stuff where he's got these opponents that he just cannot beat for whatever reason, whenever he faces off against them, they, they, it's just tough for him to overcome these guys, whether it be, you mentioned a Claudio, uh, a Brian Danielson, and then Moxley later on. It's a very simple story and, and a story that people can get behind. And uh, as you mentioned with the promos as well, the final promo between Moxley and Eddie Kingston on dynamite was fantastic. A, a legitimate money drawing promo for me. Um, so, uh, this final was really well done. Obviously it, uh, you know, made some odes to all Japan with the triple crown. And obviously the tournament being based on the G one climax and the champions carnival going back to all Japan as well. So, uh, I thought it was well done. Really the only blips I, and I had with this tournament was that one final being a three way, the semifinal between swerve J J white and John Moxley being a three way. I thought mm-hmm. it was cowardly booking, to be honest, to not have a guy take a loss here and try to protect yeah. somebody. And I know they were trying to protect Swerve, and it looks like we're going to get uh, at some point in 2024 Swerve going after the world championship, which is great. But I don't think I don't think Swerve taking a loss in the semifinals really would have hurt him that much as as much as I think AEW thought it would. It is encouraging if you're a big Swerve Strickland fan that they are trying to go to this length to try and protect him. That that seems yep. screams to me that they want to take this guy to the next level because, uh, like I always say, the booking never lies. And so, uh, with all that said, though, I thought this was an overall success, and uh, you could also look at television ratings as well. With every time they had a match from the continental classic go on, there would be an increase in the TV ratings. Um, and if you're a fan of this, uh, style of wrestling, like I am, uh, you might be encouraged as well. When Tony Khan goes into the presser before, uh, the, the pay-per-view saying that, uh, they're going to do more of this sports-based style presentation, which is what they should have been doing, uh, throughout this year. I don't know why they deviated from it, but you could at least, take into account that he's he's heard it he's read the criticism he's read the feedback and he's going to try to apply to the product i'm still at a show me don't tell me phase when it comes to tony khan saying that but at least hearing him say that it was a success and he's leaning towards doing more of that sports-based presentation i think is a big plus um and again the final was uh tremendous uh it was real hard-hitting match uh You'd be shocked to hear this, Lee. John Moxley did not bleed in this match. It was a very straightforward. Uh, it was a very straightforward, hard hitting match going back and forth. Um, and then uh, Kingston got the one final uh, hurricane, the the back fist there uh, to get the victory. And it was uh, my match of the night. I really enjoyed it. And I think it was, again, simple presentation. You had Moxley embrace Kingston at the end. You had the visual of Kingston with the three belts. Uh, really well done. And I am hopeful that with the Continental Classic that they, they sounds like they will continue it and uh, find different ways to kind of utilize the style of tournament uh, and realize yeah. that, this, that this kind of presentation works in the modern day professional wrestling. Yeah, and I think just taking a step back, right? Like 
you got some really good matches during the tournament. And then the tournament ended up making somebody better and becoming important along the way where now that it's done, I think the continental classic is a must tune in next year Mm -hmm. as opposed to the Owen Hart tournament where they got belts and made these like big presentations and way to go Adam Cole and Britt Baker. And I've never heard of them since like the belts. I mean, like it just didn't matter. This one seems to matter and it mattered again. I would encourage everyone, man, some of the, even the promos from Jay lethal and Mark Briscoe and Jay white and Eddie Kingston, like after matches in this tournament was amazing. Um, that's to me what professional wrestling is. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end of this, you're like, I worried a lot about how I would feel at the end of this tournament. And I feel really good about it. And again, I think it's everything in this sports style presentation that you talk about. It's everything that wasn't the MJF Adam Cole devil crap. Yep. Um, so, okay. Good for them. And I think a successful tournament. And I said to a couple of people once, you know, once Eddie got himself kind of into the the semifinals and beating Brian Danielson, he was beating John Moxley. Like mm. he wasn't getting to the finals after beating Claudio and Brian Danielson and losing to John Moxley, but it's still the right choice. It's still the right person to do this and how much it matters to him, I think will matter after this as well, because he will hold it in high regard. And so I, I just think it, it was a well done tournament, really mm-hmm. well done. Um, I'm the one match and I haven't seen all of the highlights at the end of it, but man, I can't wait to, I've read all about it. How about my boy, Christian cage after losing the TNT championship to Adam Copeland, basically, doing money in the bank to old edge who did money in the bank to John Cena back in the day Mm -hmm. after kill switch won the battle Royal to earn a future TNT title shot earlier in the night. Christian basically got kill switch to give him the title shot. And after he lost, he won it right back. Oh, there's my man, Christian cage. What'd you think of how it was done? Bash was really good. Uh, what you're going to hear a lot is that the second half of, uh, of the, of the card really, uh, helped a lot of this show. Um, but this match itself, uh, was really good. I, uh, I might be the low man on this one. Lee, I hated that finish. I, I hated that finish. What are you talking about? You see what we were just talking about with a sports based style of, of this product it just reminded me of WWE, like you mentioned with the cash and whatnot. And I get what you're, what they're going for with the story. And I understand this is probably it's, it's more not appealing to my taste. Cause I also, based on what I'm reading on the, the finish, I might be the low man on this one, but I I'm a strict, I'm very strict when it comes to, I don't want any sort of resemblance to the main product of WWE when I'm watching a competitor challenger brand. And so I don't really like the idea of cash-ins being a thing in AEW. And this, and so this finish after this bloody 
a hard-fought match, a hardcore match where they lit a table on fire. They had the ladder. They had uh, different spots. Uh, they went to the crowd. Edge did his bed. Uh, Edge did his best. New Jack dive. Like all these hardcore things in the match. After all of that, then you get the cash in at the end with Kill Switch coming in, giving the contract to Christian Cage, and Christian Cage getting uh, the belt back. I know some will say that's a great heel thing, but I just don't like this idea of Cashins being an AEW. And so it really turned me off from that finish. Uh, I, I it, it was, it was a, there, there, I feel like you could have done some sort of a dusty finish here, which is kind of what they were going for. If you really wanted to keep Christian cage as champion, but you wanted to have that moment of edge slash Adam Copeland uh, being able to win the belt. So uh, this finish did not do it for me, and I'm well aware I'm probably the low man on that, but the match itself well, was solid. That, you said that you're a low man three times, and I'm going to just make it a fourth because okay. this is, to me, and again, I haven't seen how it was executed from beginning to end, but the way that this has been executed to me is as much of a, like, you want Christian to be the biggest chicken crap heel of all time. And how, like, I, I, I get your argument about cash-ins and I actually somewhat agree that you don't want to make up two WWE ish and you start having Royal rumbles and you start having like different things to, but they've had, um, what did they have before the roulette thing of uh, uh, at the top of the ladder? They've been doing that. Oh, yes. What was it called? The uh, um, I, I I know it's exactly what you're talking about, but uh, the name anyway, is they, me. they've been do, they've been doing this like a double or nothing with the whatever they would get at the top of the ladder that is just like Money in the Bank, and they they've been doing that for a while in AEW. They just haven't like done it up as much as the wwe mm -hmm. I, I i kind of agree that i don't want them to look like the wwe but this one move on one night it wasn't like we went into this night going i wonder who's going to win the tnt like they're going they can cash it in at any time i hardly thought about it and then the fact that it was announced and they're going to have this match and then kill switch luchasaurus wins it and Christian immediately grabs her. It's as chicken crap a move as you could ever want to do to beat your friend when basically he beat you mm -hmm. in this huge moment. But you found the most chicken crap of ways to get the title back because that's who you are. I think that's amazing. Mm -hmm. um, th this title did not belong on Adam Copeland. He... If he's going to reach for something, let it be for the AEW world title. He's a big name. Put him in some big spots. He can still go. And so he doesn't need this title. And I would not have wanted to see one week of a reign of Adam Copeland as the TNT title. So it belongs around Christian's waist. It's just about how it got there. Mm -hmm. And as you said, his friend beat him and he found a way to beat him back. Yeah. And I think on this one night, it's as cowardly as you can do, be and still have the championship and your family and the patriarch. I just love, love, love 
the way that this is done because Adam Copeland beat him for the title. And now Adam Copeland's still chasing him for the title. Right. Like it's incredible. Um, I love it. I just, I love everything about it. Um, we can talk about, maybe you can wrap up quickly, both of the, uh, not to overlook them, but we're going on here a bit. Um, mm-hmm. The women's world championship matches, the AEW women's world championship match with Tony Storm beating Rio and Julia Hart beating Abaddon. Um, anything from these matches that you stood out for you? Julia Hart versus Abaddon may have been one of the worst matches I've seen this year. It was a really oh, bad match. It's uh, Julia Hart. She has been improving and uh, she's been getting better every time I've seen her. Abaddon's just not a good wrestler. And I, I they put her in a big spot here, but it was very heatless. And there were moments where the crowd was just dead silent for this. And I, I, I just don't think they have it here with Abaddon. And uh, it was a battle of two spooky characters going at it. There was a this is spooky chant during the match. That was the only real exciting thing of this match. Uh, both. Tr- I, I I can't fault them. Like they both worked hard, but I just don't think Abaddon is a good wrestler. And Julia Hart's not at that stage of her career where she could carry or lead a match. So it led yeah. to this being just lifeless, heatless and uh, some awkward spots. And you could tell that there was some lost communication on what the next spot was going to be. This was not a good match. This was probably one of the worst matches they've ever put on an AEW pay-per-view. Uh, so it's unfortunate. I I'm still, you know, I, I still think there's a good trajectory here for Julia Hart. I'm not saying blow it up and reset with a TBS championship. It's just, this was not one of her better title defenses. And when it came to Riho and Tony storm, uh, uh, it was, it was fine. It was all right. I, I didn't think it was next level good or anything like that. I thought it was decently worked. Both are good wrestlers. Um, you know, I, I know people who kind of have their thing about Riho and how tiny she is, but they did work it around how she's smaller, but she's able to work around it. If that makes any sense. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, I I've said it on this show before. I think this Tony storm character is the absolute craps, uh, and could just go away forever. Uh, making funny faces into a camera is not storytelling. I don't know how, I don't know how that has been construed as storytelling or, or how she's telling a story, but I, I feel like I have to say that. Um, because every time she does that gets big pops. I don't understand. I just, I don't get it. But, uh, I find with her, like when she has the character, she presents it outside the ring. People seem to like it. And then the bell rings. And then there's just really not much there character wise for this timeless Tony storm character, because she doesn't really wrestle like an eighties or, you know, old school woman's wrestler. She just wrestles, back to that modern style that we usually see from her. And so it's just a different dichotomy for her. Um, Having said that, like I thought these two, they wrestled pretty well. Uh, Again, it it wasn't like an exemplary match. Um, They, they, they went out there. They, they, they did their spots and uh, Tony storm eventually retained. And it looks like they're going to continue on with this Mariah may story. Um, but it, it really wasn't anything where I should say everybody should, you know, 
stop listening to this podcast and go watch this match. I definitely can't say that. Why was Keith Lee not there and Swerve Strickland's taken on Dustin Rhodes? Keith Lee has apparently been injured since 2022. I forget the show. Um, And he was not medically cleared to be on the pay-per-view. And so uh, his tag partner, Dustin Rhodes, came in. uh, And I thought they booked this all wrong. Um, They tried to do the big injury angle at the start with Swerve, like throwing the cinder block and uh, going after his arm, I believe it was. And, And I thought they were doing this injury angle so that they could have Swerve win and look strong somehow, some way at the end of the pay-per-view but then they had a match and they wrestled for 15 minutes and it's like you know why did you even do that angle at the beginning like they then they just traded spots it's like you can't do that angle beforehand and then just work holds after that like what are we doing here like uh, swerve won and that was the big thing that they wanted to do anyways like they they put swerve on the pay-per-view so that he could get a big pay-per-view win so that he has some momentum heading into the new year and i get why they did that um, and it's unfortunate that Keith Lee's gotten injured uh, and they, and he couldn't be cleared in time. I would be, you know, highly suspect that you would announce a card and, and he's not cleared, you know, on the right. night of the show, like maybe, maybe get your, you know, house in order here, Tony, before you book the match. But uh, in terms of this match, I, I just thought they booked it all wrong and uh, it just went too long. And it, it I don't want to say it, it they, they didn't cap. They didn't capitalize enough on Swerve's victory as much as they could have um, Swerve got the victory. He's going to be fine at the end, but they could have done much more with this. Okay. Uh, is Andrade leaving AEW? Um, CJ Perry going back with Miro is a weird part of this now. Uh, how did this all play out with Miro beating Andrade? Well, I, I went into this match uh, laughing, thinking, well, which one is willing to do the J-O-B more? Uh, because both guys are notorious in that company for being selective with who they want to lose to. Uh, stroking the Fu Manchu mustache and saying, that doesn't work for me, brother. Um, and so my thought process going in was, who is going to stroke the Fu Manchu mustache hard enough to avoid doing the job? And it ended up being Rusev, uh, Miro. Uh, so uh, the match itself, I will say this about Andrade. he he. It's not like he slacked off or anything like that. He worked and then he tapped out at the end and then they did the angle with uh, CJ Perry uh, heading back to uh, wor- working with Miro again. Um, so this was a decently worked match. Uh, it, I was hoping for a little bit more from these two, um, especially from Miro, but uh, they, they had CJ Perry interfere in the match. Uh, Andrade seemed to have the victory. And then CJ Perry came in and uh, interrupted the, the pitfall on the referee. And then uh, that led to Miro putting in the uh, accolade and, and winning. And now it looks like the story is going to continue on between Miro and CJ Perry. And, and it sounds like Andrade is leaving and you know what? Good riddance. I say based on uh, how he's kind of been uh, backstage with people and, and what he was willing to do and in, in matches. And if he wants to go to WWE ba- uh, that badly and, and, and be able to work with his wife, Charlotte flair, they can travel in the newly uh, and the newly, uh, uh, achieve bust that uh, Charlotte has got in her new contract. Good for them. Um, 
but uh, they, it, I was hoping for a little bit more from these two. Um, it wasn't a bad match by any means, but it was just kind of a standard match you would see in Di- on Dynamite, to be honest. All right. What stands out from the Sting, Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, and Chris Jericho win over Big Bill, Ricky Starks, Powerhouse Hobbs, and Peshka? What stands out there? Uh, well, it, it, the Jericho stuff, what kind of s- stood out was more outside of the ring. And I'll talk about that in a moment. Um, in terms of the match itself, a lot of spots broke down in this match. Sting is starting to really look like he's 64 out there and Jericho wasn't any great either. Um, there, there was a lot of broken down spots. They did the whole, you know, the tag match, uh, the match falls apart and everybody gets a move in, in the middle of the ring. Um, and there were a couple of times during it where, uh, you know, either sting forgot a spot or Jericho forgot a spot, or they had to reset a spot. Um, and so it kind of fell apart in the match and, uh, it was a little bit tense because you could he- definitely hear from the crowd some chants that were uh, not uh, very uh, pleasing to Jericho. Um, and so the match itself was a little underwhelming. I was expecting more, especially with some of the talent that was in there. And and I will say, like, Takeshita looked great in the match uh, to l- find kind of a positive. I, I wish they would do more with him. Um but uh, yeah, it, this was a match that sort of broke down at different points and it kind of hindered what it uh, could have been in terms of a, a work rate match. Um, when it comes to Jericho, uh, I'll, I'll quickly mention this because there's been a lot of stuff on it uh, in terms of what's gone outside of the ring. It started out with, uh, you know, it, it, I'll, I'll try to keep it condensed, but it started out with, you know, Jericho going after Punk's lawyer on Twitter. Uh, about the whole NDAs uh, involving Brawl Out. Apparently, Punk and Ace Steel signed NDAs, so they can't talk about what happened at Brawl Out last year. And so uh, the lawyers said that uh, all the people involved with Brawl Out have signed NDAs. Jericho said he witnessed it all, uh, and so he didn't sign any NDA. And that led to a reporter uh, by the name of Nick Hausman, who I think uh, people are familiar with when it comes to uh, different uh, reports. Uh, saying, uh, what about the uh, NDAs you make other talent sign? And then he went on a podcast uh, that he runs and made a comparison uh, for Jericho to Harvey Weinstein, which is a very strong uh, comparison to make, especially when you don't have a report out. Um, And that led to more things kind of coming together. A Twitter account uh, came out and published, kind of reshared what was going on between Jericho Houseman and uh, everything involving NDAs and kind of referenced it back to uh, Kylie Ray and then Kylie Ray sent out a heart emoji. And that's where these allegations have started to kind of come out. I don't really want to comment too much more on that. That's just more of a surface level thing, because quite frankly, I don't think there's enough information. And I think uh, it would be bad for me to comment on that sort of stuff when there's really just stuff that's lacking. The one thing I do want to say is I thought the way that Houseman has gone about this story is incredibly irresponsible uh, in terms of trying to get some sort of one-upsmanship over Jericho in a tweet. And it just goes back to the state of the wrestling media and how I'm just super critical of it, especially now in my profession outside of this podcast. I, I do reporting. 
Uh, you know, I've worked at a news station for a couple of years. I've worked with other reporters and understand how uh, they operate and how they go after stories. So the way that Houseman went after this, I thought was incredibly irresponsible, does more damage than what needs to be. And it's one of those things where everything is just all so vague right now. And I'm at the point where it's like either report it if you have information or don't say anything at all. And the fact that Houseman is going in there as well and, and putting out tweets arguing for other reporters to try and get for information, I think is cowardly, uh, per, to be perfectly honest, especially when you are the one that sent out the information in the first place and your job is a reporter and you own a website that puts out reports. So uh, Tony Khan was asked about it at the media scrum. He said that uh, he said that AEW is one of the safest places uh, backstage to work for. Uh, which, you know, when you're on record saying that you feared for your life backstage after an incident involving punk kind of seems counterintuitive to now say that it's one of the safest places in wrestling to work for. But I digress. This story is kind of still developing. There's just the, the problem is there's not a, enough information now and it's just out there and it's just I find it incredibly unfair to any sort of potential victims that may be involved here if there are. And uh it's unfair just to everybody involved because now there's people that people when you leave it so vague, people are going to speculate and there's going to be people that may not be involved at all in any way that get targeted. And so the way that Hausman went about this was incredibly irresponsible. He should know better as a reporter, but that's also how I just view this wrestling media right now, where you would think they would have learned by Saudi Arabia that maybe being vague and saying, I know stuff you don't would backfire on them, but clearly it has not. And so it, it really, it, it angers me that this is where we're at right now. Um, I don't know if we'll get more information. I don't know if people are going to dig in. It's something that we're going to have to wait to see if it will develop. Uh, I saw people were critical of, of Tony Khan's comments, calling it an unsubstantiated internet rumor. But unfortunately, the way that it is, just looking at it through a reporter's eyes, and if you're a PR guy, that's what it is right now. There's <laughs> nothing that kind of backs it up. There's no evidence. And so you have to wait. And so there's still more to be done in this story. Um, there's still more, uh, it could just linger on forever, but the worst people are now going to latch onto this as well and, and try and make a point out of it. So, uh, just to kind of cut the rambling off here a little bit, I, I just find Houseman to be incredibly irresponsible. He should have done so much better as a reporter, especially yeah. somebody of that status. Okay. We'll talk more about it though. In uh, later shows, if For sure. more information does come to light, uh, just very quickly, Danielson, and his team with Claudio Briscoe and Garcia, Jay White, Roosh Lethal, and Brody King. Um, they're not really helping out Jay White since he lost MJF, I can tell you that. No, they're not. Uh, they're not. But uh, I, I will say I thought this opening tag match was fun. Uh, it was a nice way to kick off the pay-per-view. Uh, it was, it was, it's just it's similar to what new Japan does with their G one climaxes, where after the tournament is over, they have all their guys kind of compete in a tag match under the main card when the main events happening. So I thought, uh, it was, it was a nice little all-star main event tag, uh, that, uh, they put together here and have these guys going to go out. Um, and they built mm -hmm. up some stuff with, uh, Daniel Garcia, uh, trying to establish his character a little bit more. 
him not, you know, part of the celebration with uh, Danielson and his team at the end. So hopefully that means that there's going to be a renewed push for uh, Daniel Garcia here. Um, but yeah, I thought this was a fun opening tag match. Uh, some good work in here. As you mentioned, Jay White just continues to be on the receiving end of, of uh, some not so great booking. And that's what I've been saying ever since he lost to Jay White the way that he did. Uh, sorry, to MJF the way that he did. So uh, yeah, this is, but this was a fun opening tag match. Uh, I thought right. this was be a way to kind of set the tone for the rest of the show. Well, Zach. Um, as we, as we go here, I'll, I'll be kind of cutting this one off Okay. as we get closer to new year's, um, here in Italy, but I can tell you, we're going to have way more opportunity here in the next, um, you know, three, four, seven days to be able to get maybe a couple more in and get the new year started for 2024. Sure. There's so many good things, uh, to talk about, but I do think it's interesting and we haven't really talked about this either, and maybe we'll get into it in our next episode, right? Kenny Omega. We haven't really talked since Kenny Omega went back into the hospital and um, is going to be out long-term. But I did think that this uh, pay-per-view was very interesting of like all the things that had happened between all of the people, right? The CM Punk and Jack Perry and the elite and the executive vice presidents and all of those guys. None of them were on this card. Yeah. Like, like no young bucks. Kenny Omega's hurt again, but he wasn't on. Adam Page wasn't on. Jack Perry wasn't on. CM Punk obviously works for WWE now. Um, none of those guys were on this card. And I can't remember a card where none of them were on. It's been a while. Um, a, a, a big show like this. So I just thought that that was an interesting little tidbit that I thought of as I was going down and kind of watching some of the highlights like, huh, no Hangman Page, no Kenny Omega, no Young Bucks, no Jack Perry, of course no Punk. So maybe trying to get away from and have those people be in the background and not be front and center. Hey, you screwed up and there's going to be some times where you're not going to be available, but now 2024 a brand new year and I do want to wish everyone um, not only a happy holidays, but a fantastic beginning of 2024. Uh, it's going to be our year, Zach. Okay. It might be your year with the golden Hawks. somethings in Trenton, Hawks, yeah. golden Hawks and the front next to apparently your favorite OHL team, even though you're from <laughs> Ottawa, um, <laughs> your, your, your Senator has got a new coach and assistant yep. coach and, you know, Jack Hughes still runs all over them like the Devils always do. <laughs> um, so we got a lot of the Cowboys are going to win the Super Bowl in another month. So we're going to be <laughs> excited about that. There's a lot of things coming up here in 2024, Zach. But I do want to wish you uh, a very happy new year and all of our listeners uh, a happy new year. And we look forward to This Is Wrestling taking on a much bigger space in the wrestling industry in 2024. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And uh, yeah, it's been quite the year for us this year. Obviously, a lot of change uh, for for both of us, but especially for you, Lee. Um, and I uh, I am appreciative of the listeners that have followed us through this year and continue to listen to us every week. And 
uh, listen to the shows and send us feedback and send us comments. It keeps us going. And, and we love talking wrestling. And like you mentioned, 2024 is going to be a big year. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. We've got oh. some, we've got some stokes of the fire here, Lee, that uh, I think people will be excited about. So uh, that's right. Uh, it's I'm telling you, I'm going to cut my biggest promo. And I'm telling you, 2024 is going to be the year of this is wrestling. I can feel it. I know it. And it's just about putting it all into place. And so looking forward to that, Zach, have a happy new year. And for Zach McGibbon and Lever Sage, thanks again for listening to This is Wrestling.